The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. No one is immune to painkiller misuse or addiction. And that's a warning from Dr. Connor Herty, underlining a stark reality in Ireland where millions seek solace in over-the-counter codeine products. Uh, this seemingly simple solution for pain relief hides a burgeoning crisis as we stand on the precipice of a potential addiction epidemic. Uh, so we uh, decided we better talk to Dr. Connor Herty, who is with me now, consultant in pain medicine and anesthesiology at the National Orthopaedic Hospital in Kappa. Uh, Connor, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Now, this is kind of a hidden problem because uh, people can be addicted to these products and yet go about their lives quite normally. They're not mugging anybody. They're not uh, making a nuisance of themselves. They're just, as they see it, treating their own pain. Uh, Correct. I suppose chronic pain is a huge problem in many societies. In Ireland, up to a third of people suffer with chronic pain, so pain on a daily basis for at least six months every 12-month period. What we will do is we'll tend to seek relief. So we want to reduce pain so we can get on with our life and focus on what's important to us. And the difficulty, I suppose, is addiction is an insidious problem. It's only when it's established that we can really make that diagnosis. Um, Before that, it's treatment of pain is what's happening. Um, Are there people who could be taking these products day in, day out and never get addicted? Oh, there certainly are. uh, Addiction is a complex problem. There's societal issues, there's uh, genetic issues, there's multiple things that go into something, having an established It's like the the fellow who smokes until he's 100 years of age and uh, never gets lung cancer. I I suppose something similar, yeah. Um, in terms of addiction, we will always see tolerance and dependence. So if someone takes these on a daily basis, they will always become tolerant or dependent, but may not establish addiction, which really means a craving and impaired control for these medications. And that's they're the group that we're most worried about. Obviously, the more of these medications that are available in society, the more people we're going to see struggling with controlling their use of them. Now, uh, when you talk about tolerance, uh, does that mean that the effectiveness wanes, that you need more of it uh, to uh, re- remove the pain, if that's, if that's what it is? Because is it possible that you could, uh, your pain could be gone, but you've now become addicted to the stuff, so you need it, not for pain, but just because you're addicted? So, uh, again, that's probably more dependent. So that means that you need to continue to take it to feel normal. It's when, when we use it in an uncontrolled fashion, that's when it develops into addiction. So there's a lot of subtle definitions here that do make mm. it complicated. But as I said, addiction is something we can only say after it has happened, after the damage is done, be that from health-related uh, harms from the medications themselves or occupational or family-related harms from addiction. Now, uh, I remember when I was young, the codeine was uh, routinely prescribed by doctors for acute pain. It could be, you know, acute pain from a toothache or whatever. Uh, it was not seen as anything you'd take long term. It was just you go to the doctor, get a prescription, get your codeine. Now we have, and I don't know how long we've had them, but over-the-counter products which mix other painkillers like paracetamol or neurofen with codeine. Yeah, and I'd say it's very important to say that it's important to maintain access to these medications for people who do benefit from them. If someone has an acute pain, this can be a very effective treatment for them. The area we're worried is the continued use without supervision. And that's why when you when you go to your pharmacy, you, you will be asked questions. Have you used them very often or used them on a daily basis? And that's an important part of the, the regulation and 
care that's taken around the dispensing of these medications. Um, I mean, some of them would be well known as hangover cures. Yeah. And, and again, if someone's and taken these once, or, once a week, um, they're not going to struggle with problems with these medications. It's the repeated use and the uncontrolled use. So using more than they should, using them as they're not prescribed or using more than it says in the box, that's a real warning sign that someone could have a problem with these medications. There are uh, people who are pressing for them to be made prescription only rather than over the counter. Um, What is your view on that? Uh, We'd have to look at it from a broad point of view. So... um, I have my own personal opinion on it, but ultimately we need to have careful stewardship of controlled drugs. And these are opioid-based medications. So they have a, they're metabolised in the body into morphine at different rates in different people. So that's what happens with codeine? So codeine is metabolised in the liver and one-sixth approximately of that will be converted into uh, morphine. So different people's liver work at different rates. So if someone has a high... Um, ability to metabolise it, they may get a, a bigger uh, response to codeine. And then some people can't metabolise it at all. So codeine is useless. has no effect whatsoever. So it, it is that it's a tricky drug because it, it acts differently in different people's bodies. So some people could be more susceptible on a genetic level, not just on uh, uh, any other level. Okay, now, uh, you say that it has its uses, and uh, I've mentioned the hangover use. I'm not advocating that people get hammered every weekend or whatever, uh, but that's kind of the casual use, the occasional use. Um, And you're not going to go to a doctor for a hangover cure. No. So does it have a place in that kind of role? So it has a role in acute pain management, so simple strains, pains, etc., simple things. Um, headache as well. Where we're struggling is where people maybe have chronic pain disorders where they may be better off seeking medical help. There may be better options for them. They maybe should see a physiotherapist rather than using or self-medicating and self-diagnosing and using these on a regular basis. And that's where we can see people run into problems. The other area where we'll see problems is maybe where people are using them for non-medicinal purposes. So they may have anxiety or they may have trouble difficulty sleeping and then they're using medica- medications that are not for that intended yeah. use. And that's but but would need. that uh, because it in some people metabolizes into morphine would actually be a sleeping draft for some people? It, it can be used for lots of different mm. purposes. Even though for example we'll mention one product that Salpidine has caffeine in it. So you might think you're going to nod off but you're not. You're going to wake <laughs> up. <laughs> Again it, there's so much inter-individual variability in how drugs are uh, felt by the individual. Um, so we can give the same drug to 10 different people and we'll get 10 different reports of response. But what we can say is that paracetamol is a very effective painkiller for simple pain. Um, just looking at the the, the, the the kind of products that people typically buy across the, the counter, they'd buy aspirin, for example. Um, and again, you don't have too much aspirin or you'll end up with ulcers in your tummy. Um, but equally, your heart might be in better shape <laughs> because it's a blood thinner. You've got paracetamol, which uh, does seem to be non-addictive. We even give it to babies. Um, but again, if you take too much of it, you'll poison yourself. We've Nurofen, uh, which is an anti-inflammatory and g- gives pain relief through that particular methodology. Um, is that potentially a poison as well? Uh, uh, again, I think it was Voltaire who said all... All substances are poisons. It just depends on the dose. So, so a cup of tea, if you have enough of it, it will kill you. Yeah, well, yes, indeed. Yeah. So the, the, the option for people then who have chronic pain, um, when you say they should see a doctor about their chronic pain, what are the options that a doctor has 
that would be better than any of these and would not be addictive? Again, my focus in terms of chronic pain is always to give someone a diagnosis. Um, if someone is uh, has a chronic pain because they have hip osteoarthritis, some of my colleagues in CAPA might offer them surgical solutions that would be far more effective and much safer than taking Yeah, but you might be on a waiting list. Correct. That That is also a problem, but... Um, we would be keen to establish a diagnosis. So it just depends. So some chronic pains might be nerve damage related. Some might be due to many other reasons. And it, the different diagnoses are very complex and broad. So it'd be very hard to give you a definite answer today, but it would depend on the assessment. Yeah. Now, uh, again, you have a, your own personal views on the availability of these substances across the counter. Um, but do you believe that with a little more rigour that the pharmacist could do the job properly? I think many pharmacists do an excellent job. Um, I, I think it's very hard to, to go into a pharmacy these days and be dispensed these without answering a number of questions, and that's mandated. But, but is it kind of just perfunctory answering of the questions, or do you believe that a, a pharmacist you know, will be serious about this and interrogate people? Because some people might find that a bit intrusive. For God's sake, I only have a hangover. Come on. Uh, sometimes I would say it's, it's very important to be... Uh, cognizant of the belligerent individual who's clearly just wants the medications and wants to get out and we do know that people shop around for doctors in different pharmacies to hoard and store these medications so uh, i think most pharmacists would be kind of understand the potential addictive nature of these and be cognizant of that and genuinely yeah. do. it's also uh, probably quite a good money spinner for pharmacists and they don't want to lose that uh, source of income with these over-the-counter preparations so you know, they should look uh, to their own uh, profitability in terms of the rigour with which they do that job. I suppose that that um, could be levelled at any area of medicine in the sense that we would be very keen that we look after the patient and the patient's best interests. And we'd hope then that um, the financial rewards would follow on from good care as opposed to uh, a cynical view to... Now, some of the texts come in. Surely the days of painkiller dependency are in the past. Doctors won't prescribe anything uh, remotely addictive at the moment. I, I can absolutely understand that view, and uh, I do see that happening to some of my patients. Um, we're very keen on an opioid stewardship programme, so I would advocate very much for uh, these medicines to be available for patients who have acute pain, who have yeah. cancer-related pain, and in certain circumstances in chronic pain. Um, fear around addiction is a problem, um, but it's also important to be aware that it's a real problem and does cause death in individual patients. Yeah. Um, more, uh, I take 12 sulpidine at least every day, says a listener. I'm addicted all over again. So one suspects that they were on something else and now are buying OTC. Uh, Painkillers, you simply have to tell listeners about Netflix's uh, documentary called Painkiller, and that might... Uh, Give people pause for thought. That's from Paddy Androhada. My mother was addicted to codeine and hadn't a clue what was wrong with her. Her mood swings were horrendous for us as kids. She was either weeping or screaming. What is the result in people who have a codeine addiction or dependency? In, in general, it's it's a craving for the medication. It's uh, an inability to control the use of the medication. And a lot of their life revolves around obtaining these medications. So it's only when the diagnosis is established and treatment is instigated that we see people improve. 
again, as I said before, the problem with addiction is it's a retrospective diagnosis. So a lot of harm is done before the, the diagnosis is made. So if we can prevent even one person heading down that road, we'd be doing a great job. Um, I got my hip done two years ago when leaving hospital, filled my prescription in the chemist and part of my pain relief was OxyContin, which I never took. Same with my husband this summer, open heart surgery and had to tell the nurses twice to stop giving OxyContin as he was delirious and uh, didn't like how he felt. That's from Helen. OxyContin is used quite widely, isn't it? But it's used under supervision and appropriately. Uh, Correct. And I I think after major surgery, it's perfectly appropriate that we would use a short course of a strong opiate. Um, Obviously, patients need to be assessed and difficult to comment on on an individual case, but it it wouldn't sound inappropriate use. However, may have had significant side effects from it. The the arguments about, uh, you know, people looking for pain relief, not getting it in the pharmacy might go somewhere else and get illegal fentanyl or Oxycontin. And that's something we don't want to happen in this country. And that absolutely has happened in the US. And and some of the documentaries that have been mentioned there, I'm well aware of them. There's been a huge explosion in uh, illicit opioid uh, availability in the US because of a clampdown and prescribing. All right. Well, it's a, a salutary warning. And uh, Connor Herty, consultant in pain medicine and anesthesiology at the National Orthopaedic Hospital in Kappa, uh, thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.